Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, the goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you, yes you, to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, you can be, you can achieve, you can impact more through your life. Or maybe a little bit more simply said, so that you can live inspired. On today's episode, I get to introduce you to a lady from humble beginnings who has authored a life of amazing significance. Jill Blaschek Strand grew up on a dairy farm in a small town in Minnesota. Through many ups and many downs, she'll share both, by the way, beautifully on this podcast. Jill today enjoys a wonderful family, a busy speaking schedule, a successful business, and the honor of leading thousands and thousands of tastefully simple sales consultants as their founder, now as their CEO. She's an amazing woman. I loved her the very first time I met her, and after hearing this podcast, you're going to love her too. So, my friends, are you ready? Are you ready for this one? It is my honor to introduce you to my friend, the great Jill Blaschek-Strahan. John, thank you. I'm so excited about this. I love, I love, love talking to you, so this will be great. Well, the first time we met was about eight years ago, and since that time, we've grown not only professionally, but personally. I deeply admire you. I love your heart. I love your story. I love your business acumen. I love the way you share it, and I love the fact that today I get to share you with our followers. So thanks for the time, and what we know, Jill, is that everyone has a story. It's just usually not the story we're telling the world. And so, yes, you are extraordinarily successful and beautiful today, and yet sometimes it wasn't always as easy for you. So I want to take us all the way back to where you grew up, what childhood was like uh, for you as a little girl. <laughs> well, first off, I'm a farm girl, and so uh, from Minnesota, and uh, it was, uh, I look back on it, of course, you, you only know, in, we only know in our own world what we know, and so... Uh, I look back on those years and I was, uh, it was very, very normal, normal life. Uh, I, my mom and dad were uh, very hardworking, obviously. My mom was a city girl who turned farm wife mm. and a city, city being Marshall, Minnesota population, I don't know, 25, it wasn't a big city, but right. uh, by our standards, population 300 in Villard, Minnesota, it was a city. So uh, it was a very um, real salt of the earth life. And I look back now and I think of the work ethic uh, that both my dad and my mom instilled in me. Uh, and uh, of course, life with my brothers. I think I actually look back and I think the, in for me anyway, we didn't, we, you would think as a farm family, maybe mm-hmm. the connotation is that it's a farm family that's, that's really close and works together. And certainly we'd sit around the dinner table at night when you finally had time to get together and, and, and have a, a meal together. But we really didn't spend a lot of time uh, creating fond memories. You mm. spent a lot of time working. And that was, and I've realized that that, that had, that was a good um, experience growing up for me. Uh, and my dad taught, we, my dad and mom both had a great sense of humor and uh, we're very involved in our small community, uh, which those are all great lessons to me. And I also learned that it was, uh, we, we weren't as connected as uh, a family, all of us, but I had my best memories were with my brothers. I, my one brother was 18 months older than me. Uh, and so uh, we double dated growing up, but when we were really little, of course, making forts in the Haymow and, yes. uh, running around having fun. And then, uh, all of my best memories, and David, who was about a couple of years younger, and then Patrick came along 11 years after 
uh, 11 years younger than me. But all of my greatest memories were really more with them as, yes. as a family. So those are some of the, uh, it, it was a great life. And when, as a teenager, I didn't, I didn't appreciate it as much. Uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, at least move to town. <laughs> right. the, the, the 300 people in town, that, that was the big attraction back then. So Jill, I could see Main Street, you know. Jill, what, what were you raising on the farm? Oh, we had a, it was a dairy farm. So we were pretty locked in at the dairy. Uh, so we had about, eventually had about 100 uh, head of, of, of cows uh, that my dad was milking. And then we had about 1,000 acres that he farmed. So they were, uh, my family was very busy. Well, and my understanding of dairy is there is no harder farm work than dairy work because there is never reprieve from it. Oh, no. And we, we didn't take vacations and, you know, you don't, but, but you didn't feel, I realized too, I never felt deprived because everybody around me, you know, we always measure our life a lot. We often measure our life because we look around at other people and see how we compare and contrast. And for me, it was like, okay, this is fine because nobody else was going on vacation. It wasn't a big, you know, it was your environment. So it was okay, and um, but yeah, I, I I learned the value of of taking time for ourselves too and recharging as I've gotten older. But uh, at the time, yeah, you you didn't take a big deal was to jump in the car and uh, if Dad came home and once we went to the state, we were going to go to the state fair. Big deal, we're going to mm-hmm. go to the state fair, and our transmission. Uh, you know, we had issues with our transmission when we got to about maybe half, 15 minutes from the state fair, and we never made it there. It was mm. our first time. We as little kids sat up all night talking about how we couldn't wait to go to this fun house. It sounds like that's going to be so cool. And, and then we never made it. But, uh, you know, but that was, if we went to the state fair, that was kind of a big deal. I'm curious, how, you know, when my kids find out that we're not going to uh, Six Flags or whatever the state fair version of that is for our family, they, they usually revolt. It's chaos and pandemonium in the O'Leary household. How, how did you guys deal with, you know, here's your one big trip probably for the year and it's not going to happen now. Do you remember how you guys dealt with that? You know, I, I can't, my brother David has such a great memory, but I can tell you that I, I don't remember saying anything to my mom and dad and expressing that disappointment. It would, we, that would not have been, we didn't, we weren't a, a whiny family because I don't think my dad was very intolerant of, of that kind of yes. stuff. So you just kind of sucked it up. And, but I remember saying one thing to mom and that was, well, how far away is it? Yes. Because we were just, you know, it was just a grade school. And uh, I remember her saying, well, it's just up the road. <laughs> well, that was not that. Cause then I, I said, well, in my mind, I didn't say anything, but in my mind, I'm thinking, then let's just walk. Yes. Let's just go. But it was, you know, just up the road was 15 miles or something, but no, we didn't, we didn't, uh, oftentimes express our frustration. It was like, or disappointment. You just sort of fucked it up. This small town, Jill, you eventually moved your way into high school. What, what, what size is your high school? I had 18 kids in my graduating class. Very proud of that. And I was in the top 50%, John. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations. I was, in the, I was in the part of the class that made the top 50% possible. So you are welcome <laughs> uh, for my participation in that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we had 18 kids in our class. One, one, you went from, you know, we had no kindergarten, but you went from uh, first grade to 12th grade together, all 18 of us. I remember many years later when my, uh, I was going through some personal uh, challenges and I I was seeing, and my my husband had died and and I had gone to a a therapist Mm -hmm. uh, to help work through some things. And I remember I said, I don't even, I mean, just dating kind of throws me here. I don't know. Uh, And she said, well, um, how about high school? You know, did you date? And I said, not uh, the man that I dated, I married. And mm-hmm. so I really didn't date much. And she said, well, why is that? I said, well, mm-hmm. we had 18 kids in our class. And, and she said, eight, nine boys, nine girls. And she said, oh, and she said, I, I, I can't believe that. She said, if, if you were dating those kids, those boys in your class, would be like dating your brother. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you were so close. You And they were farm families that, you know, we were raised together. So, uh, but it was a, uh, again, I look back and, and in Ballard, we had, of course, just a very basic education. But I'll tell you, as I look across the landscape of our class, um, we've had people who have been quite successful. And so it was a great proof, again, that it's, it's sometimes we, we move away from just the basic knowledge and education that we need to, to be strong citizens and mm. contributors. So it was, a, it was, that too was, I really enjoyed school. You, uh, of course, I'm kind of a social butterfly, so. 
Well, you you brought up uh, your husband. Where where'd you meet him? Uh, actually, Steve and I met. Uh, well, I I Jim and I I had two marriages, and and I I wrote uh, when I wrote my book Simply Shine. Yes. Um. That that's a lot of our connection here, John. There yes. Was, there were similarities here. That's how I've had uh, such an affinity to your story in a, in a very different way. But uh, but what I I did decide to put in the story in my book because a lot of people didn't even know that I had been married. Mm-hmm. But my first husband, Jim, um, he was a farm family that I'd known for years. He was three years older than me. I was I started dating with like 15, 16. He was already graduated. Um, and so I met him through the community and then ended up, um, we ended up getting a divorce, which is one of the, one of the most difficult decisions, um, I ever made up until just recent years, even most difficult decision to, to leave that marriage. Um, and, uh, so that's how he and I had mm-hmm. met, but, um, I, I will say too, for anybody struggling, it's, um, I remember going through, the, and I'm not a, a overly religious person. I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not religious. But I remember going through the Bible and reading, trying to find, figure out if it will, what I could do or should do about leaving the marriage because it wasn't like he was beating me or he wasn't alcoholic or there wasn't. It was just we water seeks its own level, and I had no depth, and I knew I was shallow. I, I knew I, I was I was not uh, a, a, I, I was not. Um, at a, a place in my life that I really wanted to be as a person. Mm. I can't tell you more than that, but I'd read my grandmother, uh, who's a farm, farm wife too, gave me the book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And I read that book. And I think part of that made me started really thinking more deeply. And she gave me Colleague Bronze book and she gave me, so she was a reader and I just started to be thinking about my life. And I knew that I, I wouldn't, it would be difficult for me to have that kind of a deep and meaningful relationship because I wasn't there and I wasn't in a relationship that would probably bring me to that place. So it just, in my heart, I, I ended up deciding to leave. So that was um, a marriage that um, I could look back and regret because I, I was going to back out of that yes. marriage, you know, a, m- a month ahead of time. And I didn't, I changed my mind and, and I stayed and for peer pressure reasons. And um, anyway, and because I really liked him, I, I really liked Jim, um, very much. So that was a very difficult decision. So that is in all transparency and candidness. That was my first marriage. But then I met Steve when I went Mm -hmm. a year or so later, a couple of years later, I went to a a retreat weekend uh, called Beginning Experience. Uh, I think they still have this. Uh, It's a fabulous, fabulous experiential weekend where you just um, explore. uh, It's it's for uh, divorced, separated, widowed people. And the intention is not, and they tell you right up front, this is not about meeting anybody. This is about you and your self-discovery. And so when I met Steve and he wanted to date, I was like, nope, I'm just figuring out who I am here. Mm-hmm. I do not want to get into a relationship and become dependent because I, I knew I was ready to leave my first marriage when I came to the point that I thought um, I I was more ready to be alone. And the fear of being alone was, less scary for me than being in a relationship and feeling alone because yes. I was always very dependent. Wow. I was always very dependent on, on uh, what someone thought of me. And that even though I wasn't feeling especially loved, there was still a dependency on that relationship. And I thought, boy, I've come a long way when I'm not, as, not worried about being alone. And that's a scary thing. Uh, it was a scary thing for me because I just, you know, a lot of times we just go from one relationship to another or from a family Agreed. relationship. Yes. We're, we're not independent and, it can be um, it can be debilitating sometimes. So that's how I met Steve. That was a long roundabout answer. No, but but Steve eventually wins you over, and um, yes, t- t- just you know, walk us through some of the uh, the experiences of Steve and, and what becomes of that relationship. Uh, I appreciated Steve. He was ten years older than me, which which was a bit off putting. He was also a recovering alcoholic, which I had always not been a huge party year, but I love to have my uh, drinks on the weekend and have fun with my friends. And I was 24 when I met him. I was still young. Uh, and, he, but I, what I appreciated about him was he, he was figuring out his life and he was very self-reflective and, and very uh, deep thinker, very sincere. Um, and uh, everybody, he was, but, and very much more introverted than me, mm-hmm. but um it was, he really centered me. Um, and so I remember uh, 
going out with him the first couple of times. And once we were going to a, a movie in St. Cloud and we were, we were, we had time on our hands. Uh, and so we were just, we just drove around and I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't we just stop by a bar and have a drink and then go, you know, it was one of the, and you know, that jolt to my paradigm mm-hmm. of how I lived my life in a small town, especially mm-hmm. uh, like that. Uh, so it was, and he put me into the world of AA and Al-Anon um, and, uh, and it, and that too was so incredibly life-changing and if nothing else, learning about yes. letting, letting go of behavior with love and knowing that pe- it's pe- we don't hate the person, we love the person and we hate the behavior, mm-hmm. uh, those life lessons because of the addiction and uh, the issues that come with addiction were absolutely foundational in shifting my life. And, and also how many times we try to control either uh, the outcome of our own life, and, and and there's a part that you certainly take action and you do what you can do to control what your actions, but some of it you have to absolutely right. let go and let God and let let it happen. And taking it one minute at a time uh, was key to me. Um, the serenity prayer um, was, I, 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 at times in my life, I have, when I have been in very, very difficult situations, literally I've been where I want to really react in my mind. I'm just repeating the serenity prayer over and 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 just trying to, to stay centered. Um, so him being in my life was absolutely, um, again, so life-changing. And, and I believe in life, you know, people say, well, you know, what was the biggest thing that changed you in your life or what? And, and to me, it's the journey. It's the richness of every everything that we're experiencing that helps bring us to to become more of who we are. And that's my objective in life is to help people become more of who they are. And um, because I have been so appreciative Mm. of that. Mm. I'm sorry. But um, so Steve ended up, because of his addictions, he stayed sober um, the 13 years we were together um, and then ended up dying of a uh, overdose of prescription medication. and because he'd gotten addicted due to some surgery he had had done, mm-hmm. minor surgery, uh, he became addicted to pain medication. Um, and so uh, I had made the decision. Zach was five years old at the time. But um, I had, Steve had always said, if I ever use again, you know, yeah. you just need to, you need to leave. So I had, Zach and I had moved out and um, just a couple weeks prior to him dying. Mm. And um, and we came home and found him uh, dead from an overdose, and that was uh, one of the challenges certainly in my life that um, was uh, taught me so much about the power of um, faith, the power of choosing our thoughts, um, and the fear and how fear is all about what we're thinking. And um, how that thoughts control emotions and emotions control actions. And um, I was, I, you know, when I was caught up in fear, I look back and I, I and, and it was not very long. It was like literally minutes at a time, like maybe 10 minutes of thinking I had to give up my company. Yes. And we haven't gotten, gotten to that yet. But um, uh, so, yes, it was um, his, what attracted me to Steve in the beginning you know, was because of his, what he'd learned through his addiction. And in the end, it is what uh, took him away too. So, um, Jill, I mean, looking back on this, you you lost a marriage. You, uh, you had a brother die shortly before you lose your second marriage to an overdose. You're you're a single woman now raising a five-year-old son. You're the big, the business is just beginning, but it's really not successful in quote quite yet. Your world is rocked. As you're going through this mighty storm, uh, what's allowing you to keep navigating toward uh, the sunshine on the far tip of, of the horizon? Um, uh, well, I, I, you know, certainly there's all the cliche, you know, you can't see rainbows <laughs> right. if you haven't seen rain, bull crap, you know, right. so, uh, and, and it's not bull crap, it's true. Uh, I've used it for people too, but, but uh, you know, I can tell you when I was on my knees in the front yard uh, that night uh, when I found 
Steve. And, and because like you said, I'd lost my other brother in a fire um, when he was 28 and I was 26 years old. And, um, and, and Steve died the same day that my brother had died Mm. 13 years earlier. And my other brother, David had gone to prison um, for a 20 year sentence. He had gone to prison 10 years after my brother had died in a fire exactly to the day. Uh, And so uh, I, I, and then it was the same year that my youngest brother, Patrick had died Mm. from from a fall. And so when I'm on my knees on the front yard, uh, I literally looked up after that. I was looking into the beautiful blue night sky in August, and uh, and I just said, "What? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. What? Well, I don't understand. What? Why? You know, what? What am I supposed to? What do you want me to do here? What? What are you trying to teach me here? And I can and I um, believe that. You know, I've also learned that we say, why me mm-hmm. when bad, when bad things happen? And, and, um, first off it's why not me? Because <laughs> I mean, what makes you think you're so special? Right, these, right. these things shouldn't be happening to us. And then also I've learned when good things happen to me, I also say, why me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so either way, God kind of hosed. <laughs> so, um, and, and so there's, there's that piece of it, but I think that, um, as, as I look back on the, on what it is that pulled me through, um, that very night, you know, I was staying over at Rose's house and I can tell people that, um, you know, if you don't have, you know, the motors in your life and you only have anchors or not only, but if you, if you're starting by even any anchors, they're going to pull you down and drown you. And it's, you have to be around positive people that pull you up and help you think good thoughts um, and, and plant positivity and not fear and not negativity. So that was what I had in my life. And then the other piece of that is, as I look back and I think, why me? I also, also am aware that whatever is given to me is, a, is meant to be a gift in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's not as a way to hurt me or pull me down or um, destroy me. It is a way to make me stronger, and and uh, fear is a gatekeeper to strength. Mm. Fear is a gatekeeper to strength, always. Tell me what so that, that means. Fear, Some, someone well, that me, doesn't know what that is, yeah. uh, unpack that for mm. us, Jill. So I think I look back now, and I and and when I do some speaking and public speaking, I always will ask the audience. I'll say, think back to a time when you have been filled with fear. And then the next question is, did you get through it? (laughs) (laughs) And we did, right? We're still in the room because nobody's getting out of this alive. So if you're in the room, you know, that's a good thing. Um, And and if you got through it, do you believe you're stronger because of it? And and you see people thinking, but almost inevitably you see, you can see them shift and you see them thinking, yeah, I am. You know, it didn't kill me. I'm stronger because of it. And, and I can say when I, when I, um, made it through those things because of the, the 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 people that helped me get through it, because of my determination that I and my faith that there was something I was supposed to be learning from this. Uh, that's what helped me pull through too. That there was a there was a reason for it. And again, some people think that's Pollyannish. Some th- people think that's just you know a delusional. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's not if it works. I mean, then it's not delusion. It's it's a reality for me. And and I look back now and I think as I started tastefully simple, and watching and seeing the impact that this business has had not and not because of the fabulous food that we we sell and, and provide to people and simple and easy food. It's about it's about the, the opportunity when people come into this. They think they're they're we all come into this for our own purposes and think we all get it, whatever choice we typically make in our business or in our careers, we think it's something that's going to hopefully if we're not just looking at money, but sometimes we come into it for the money. Mm-hmm. But ideally what we're doing, ideally, I think most people want to come away at the end of the end of their life when they look back to say, did I, am I, do I, did I live a life that I'm proud of? Did I live a life of no as few regrets as possible? Uh, did I live a life that I can look back on that uh, I made it? I made a difference. And so I look back and I, I have seen in this business 
how it does help people shine. And not everybody. Some people get in and get out again. But the people who really do become more of who they are, that was a piece of the business I didn't expect. I didn't get into it for that reason. Mm -hmm. But that's what keeps me in it. And so when I'm standing and I'm talking to our sales force or I'm publicly speaking or I'm talking to people one-to-one, I can tell them when they're going through a difficult time in their life and a personal challenge or any challenge where our minds start to mess with how we feel and then we're going to take actions that might not be in our best interest, uh, I can always, now I can, they can, I can say to them, I've been there, mm-hmm. I made it through, you can make it through too. John O'Leary, the reason you are the best speaker we have ever, ever had at any of our conferences and why I have recommended you, I swear, hundreds of times to people is because John O'Leary has gone through this and he made it through and you come to our mind when we're going through difficult times and we say, John O'Leary can do it. Hell's bells. I can do it too. And just so our listeners know, I do pay our guests before they come on the show to, to brag on me. So this, just chalk it up for payment. Okay. But, but John, I, but John, I know you get this, That's, but that is what people, if, if these things had not happened to me, always, if I had just gone out there and said, and said, you know, I'm just going to write a book. I want to write a book. Right. That was one of my goals in 1994. I'm going to do these things in my life. And, and people go, you know, and I say, you can do it. And, and, it's hollow. You haven't been through it? Right. It's, yeah. What? They go, whatever. You know, they might get something out of it, but it's mostly like I see people sit up and you've seen it too. They sit up and they pay attention when they know that we have experienced pain and we made it through because we give them hope. Jill, give us a little bit of hope on Tastefully Simple. Tell us tell us what the business is, what the numbers are. Brag on it for how many consultants you have, how big your impact is. Because then I want to back up and talk about where it all began. So where are you today? And then the exciting part is I want to take you way back to where it all began. Because it's, it's, uh, it's been a terrifically challenging story for you to this point. But where you are today is just so remarkable. So tell me about Tastefully Simple today. You know, um, we are based in Alexander, Minnesota. And um, we have, uh, I don't even know how many thousands of consultants we have. I think it's around 15,000 consultant salespeople across all 50 states. And uh, we have the, the, the product that we sell is easy to prepare food um, that uh, is a piece of it that's for busy people. And then what we shifted to a couple of years ago, because in business, it's always about ebbing and flowing and trying to find the, the, the new right answer. And there's more than one right answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started focusing more on um, helping people decide what to eat. So now we've moved into having uh, meal collections and entertaining collections and food that you go out, you buy your own groceries and you, you add the fresh, we add the flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we give you the recipes and the solutions. And so in the past couple of years, it's, uh, I've learned probably more in the last two and a half years mm-hmm. than I, uh, in a, from a business perspective and personal perspective that is probably rivaling some of my own personal journey as well. Mm-hmm. But what, what I've learned in that journey is uh, the change uh, and, and working on changing our existing sales force and, and how they thought about their business and the paradigms that we're in, that we sell individual products to people and people love our products as opposed to something bigger and more solution focused that is a meal solution. And it's been so incredibly inspiring to see. And now that we're through that change curve and starting to regain some of that, uh, the the unity and the synergy, Mm -hmm. because some people were doing things and some were doing something different. And you see how it causes factions. Uh, and that's how it is in the world and life too. You know, if we have different beliefs and different philosophies, we, we can sometimes polarize. Uh, and so now that we're starting to regain that focus and people are, are what I say, getting the joke, yes. uh, we're starting to see that moving forward again. But uh, it's been a, a, an interesting and exciting journey that we started out doing home tasting parties pretty much exclusively. Um, and then now we've evolved into having uh, one-to-one and, and having multiple channels that we're off. And online is a major presence, of course, as well. So that's a long, convoluted uh, answer to your question, Joe. No, it's it's appropriate. And uh, my wife uh, loves your products. She loves your consultants. Uh, she loves hers. A, a gal named Lindsay Ramella 
uh, while they're out, out of Cleveland, Ohio. So y- your yeah. work is incredible, Jill. And, and the products are remarkable. I know you, you said it's easy to prepare, it's delicious, mm-hmm. and it's appropriate for busy people. And I, I can't tell you how accurate all of that is. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but it, it's amazing. It, these numbers, 15,000 consultants, 50 states, people hear that listening on their way to work, on the bus, on their headphones, poolside, wherever they're tuning in today. And they're probably thinking, well, geez, she's got her success. She's been through her tragedies, but it's it's not at all where I am today. I'm a, I'm living in a single family suite and can barely pay the rent. But that's basically, Jill, where this thing began. My understanding is uh, a pool table in Alexandria, Minnesota. Yep. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Um, when I came up with this idea uh, of tasting parties and letting people try products that are easy to prepare and add no more than two, you know, just add two more than no more than two ingredients. Um, I started out the only salesperson, the only uh, employee, so to speak, and started out in a, in a shed with no running water, uh, packet orders on a pool table and uh, really truly grew the company one by one by one. And, uh, and that's how life is too, again, but, um, and, and also starting the business with $36,000, a $20,000 SBA loan, never got any more injection of cash. Never. Uh, my mom gave me a $15,000 check once that I use as a loan, but other than that, the $36,000 plus my mom's 15,000 later on. Um, and to start a company like it was amazing to me, but I, I can tell you this because my because Steve and I, my late husband and I, only had a twenty-five thousand dollar household income. Mm. I had never, I had personally never earned more than fourteen thousand dollars a year for working forty to eighty hour work weeks. Seriously, I, um, I, I, it was, it was truly hand to mouth, and and it was a huge risk for me. And today, some might say thirty-six thousand, whatever. But when you only make twenty-five thousand yeah, dollars a year massive. as a household. It was massive, and uh, but it, it worked, and it was least to most, and it was uh, learning, uh, learning as I went along, and reserving the right to get smarter, and uh, building trust with people that we were going to deliver you something excellent, and we might fumble along the way, but learn, come along with us, and we'll figure it out together. Uh, and I will say that that team approach uh, made a huge difference in building the company because as people signed on. With Taste Simple and joined us, uh, they knew that we, you know, we were still figuring it out as well. So there, it, it took some of the pressure off of them too that they didn't have to be perfect because they knew we weren't going to be perfect either. But yeah, the company grew in the first. Uh, it's kind of a blur. Yes. We grew from a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the first year. Within uh, my goal was the business plan showed that by the end of the first five years we'd be an eleven eleven million dollar company. And uh, we hit $11.8 million. And I had, and when I wrote that business plan, I kind of knew how, but I didn't know the business. I, mm. I learned as I went along. And uh, by the grace of God, and um, a lot of great people that helped were resources to me, uh, we achieved that goal. And then within the first eight years, we were $113 million. So it was just a blur. Uh, so a lot of a ton of blessings in that journey. Jill, I mean, I had never heard that you were seeking to be an $11 million business five years in. That's a big, ambitious goal. And I I knew where you'd grown to at this point. Uh, What was it about what you had in front of you on that pool table, in that shed with no running water that gave you any inkling at all that someday we're going to sell $11 million of product out of this little shed? It was truly the, um, the business model and working on the business plan and saying, gosh, if, if I had 25 or if I, if I had 12 people at a party and they each spent $25, uh, so they were $300 parties on average, let's say, and I think I can do four parties a month. And I think I could bring in maybe just five people that also want to do this. And mm-hmm. I think they can make money in this way. I mean, it took me three months to create the business plan to make sure that I felt it was doable. It was, was it doable? Because I didn't want to bring anybody in that would go, what the heck? I can't make money at this. So I needed to get out, do it myself first and make sure, but people were signing on. I had those, I was going to bring on five people within the first six months was my goal. I had eight people within the first six weeks because mm-hmm. uh, people a couple of two months, uh, six weeks, something like that. Um, and because people were signing on 
And uh, because I would just say, come along with me. We'll yes. figure this out together. And, Powerful and so language. the model, the, you know, you have to do your research and be sure you have clarity about the plan. So I have the right business model. I also had clarity about who I'm serving. So no matter what it is we're doing for our career and our life, we have to be sure we know who we're who, who are we doing this for? What's our, our market? Uh, and let's be very clear, it all starts with us. And so mm-hmm. it was very selfish because I had written down what my ideal job was before I came up with the idea. I'd written down what is my perfect job? What's the ideal job that I would have? That the first thing on my list was I want flexibility to be home with my son. And this was before Steve had died. Mm-hmm. He was three years old before Steve died. And he wasn't in the business, but I wanted flexibility to be able to be able be home with him if I could. So um, it's, you know, what's in it for us is, and that's not, there's a saying that is nobody does anything for their, for anybody else's reasons. They only do them for themselves, whether it makes us feel better or we think we're a better person or mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, and, and so the concept of taste and symbol was stemmed in what I wanted in my life as a lifestyle. Uh, and then it was about the products that met, met the need to, and then the business, the, the financial model that worked. So there was, a, you know, it's a symphony of a lot of, uh, a lot of different instruments to make and, that happen. And in hearing Jill say that, some of you may be sitting back in your cars thinking, "Gosh, that sounds awfully egotistical and self-centered." And yet, on this call, having this podcast with my friend, I know of no one who gives more and gives more selflessly than than, than Miss Jill. So I think sometimes the motivation for our behaviors is uh, is actually to give. And Jill, I know that's one of your motivations today. Oh, totally. And I and I mean that. I mean it in a way that it, it, uh, yeah. it tells. I, I fought that when I was in in tech school, and the speaker said, um, "Everybody, you people do things for their own reasons, not ours." Mm-hmm. So whenever we're we're talking, it's always about what they what they want, not what we want. And that's true of us too. And I said, wait. When I stop on the road and I just picked somebody up this last uh, was a foggy, bad, there was a storm and it was bad weather and and bad visibility. And I stopped and I picked up that individual and gave them a ride. I was helping them. And he said, really? Were you? I said, yes. And he said, well, you're being a good Samaritan. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was, that was valiant. But he said, really? did you do it? Because if you went past, you were going to feel guilty because you hadn't helped them. And he's right. I mean, you know, it sounds selfish, but it's really, it's the, it's the core down deep of why we're, we we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing, but we want to feel good about who we are too, even though we're reaching out and helping others. So. Well, Joe, you you should feel mighty good about where you are and who you are today. Tell our listeners though, what you're up to. In what way? <laughs> uh, tell, tell me about your career, including Tastefully Simple, but beyond, because I know, I know it's expanded yeah. beyond Tastefully Simple. It has. And certainly I'm still the CEO and founder of Tastefully Simple, and um, that is very important to me. So uh, we are, we have, I've shared a little bit about our, our story as a company uh, and my focus on ensuring that that, that lives on. And Tastefully Simple is a uh, strong, viable company making a difference in people's lives and meaning our consultants' lives as well as our clients. I also do public speaking, and that is um, why I had such an affinity uh, for John. I've actually been to John's events, too. What is the name of your event? Do you still do your event, John? We're, we're pausing currently, but the event's called Launch. Launch, yes. Um, and I just I love those types of things. And so because it makes such a difference in, in my personal life. And so I have done some public speaking. I have a, a website called uh, if you do JBS for Jill Blyzik uh, you can access uh, that website, too, that talks about some of the things that I, I speak about mm-hmm. in, to the public. And uh, the one that is selected most often is overcoming obstacles mm-hmm. because and getting through fear and pushing through and persevering. Um, so I'm always excited about that. And uh, it's always a joy to um, see and hear and feel what people are going through and understanding the journeys that they're on in their life as well. Well, Jill, I've, I've followed you as a speaker now three different times. And uh, very frequently, I feel pretty good about uh, my, my chances in front of an audience when I get to speak. But after you, I feel like I'm following a rock star. The people who <laughs> listen, it's true. The people who listen to you love you. They love your heart. They love your style. 
They love your story, and they love the fact that you're in front of them, not for yourself, selfishly, but completely trying to inspire them to live their best lives going forward. It's a really cool message, and you deliver it beautifully. Oh, well, thank you, John. And Jill, all of our guests that we've ever had on the Live Inspired podcast uh, walk through seven questions. It's kind of like the unifying story that brings everybody and everything together. So I'd like to begin moving toward the finish line by asking you seven questions, beginning with what's the best book that you've ever read? (laughs) John, really? Yep, we're going there. On fire? (laughs) <laughs> no, dude, they, you've already tried to sell them ahead on, on John O'Leary, the speaker. You can't sell them on the author. you got to pick or choose wisely on the front side. Oh, my goodness. In addition you know to On Fire, which is a beautiful oh, book by John O'Leary, is there anything else that leaps off uh, t- today at you? Gosh, John, I have read. I, it's so hard. I can't pick one favorite um but i I was going to mention one that's not available anymore so i won't uh mention that you mentioned seagull Um, and i wrote it i've never heard of seagull what is seagull oh it's um jonathan livingston seagull jonathan livingston seagull is the name of the book it's just a tiny tiny little paperback book uh i haven't read it in i have it somewhere but i haven't read it in years so i it'd be interesting for me to reread that i I take a dream retreat every year i'll have to uh, revive my memory of that book uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. So that made a difference for me. I will say um, uh, the I read a, a book a couple of years ago that was significant for me. I want to make sure I get the title right. Uh, it is called, I think it's Today We Are Rich. Mm. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. Have you? Yes. Today We Are Rich. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's the name of it. Uh, so that was one that uh, was very timely for me. I think the author's name is Sanders, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, Jill, thank you. And, and tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that windfall of cash, Jill? John, oh. Be selfish. Well, Go I ahead. I say my, my grandfather died at, uh, at the age of 103, so that's funny. That? Um, uh, you know, I would... I'm not driven by money or motivated by money. Uh, I would, for one thing, uh, I would do a lot of giving of that money, probably most exclusively that's what I would do with money is give it. Because I, um, to find that taste for someplace financially afforded me a lot in life. And there's a lot of things I could do and I don't necessarily do because mm-hmm. I, uh, there's just bigger, a bigger purpose for me in life. So but I would, I would do a lot of giving away. Uh, one thing I've been trying to get done, and I haven't done it just from a time perspective, is I want to build a park mm-hmm. in little Villard, Minnesota, and, and, build, and tear down some buildings there that are old and dilapidated. And uh, so that would be one small thing. But it's not a good question for me because I'm, uh, I, can't, I can't even answer it. Be, I, I'm not a toys kind of person. Mm-hmm. So I That's, do a lot of giving. Well, I think your answer is perfect. And Jill, if you found out that your house was on fire... All living things in your house, it's, it's broader than just your home. Of course, it's your life. You find out that your home, your life is on fire. All living things are out. All living people are out. So animals, spouses, etc. And you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that really does matter to you. What's one thing that you would race back in and grab? You've asked this before, and um, I didn't have a good answer then either. Um Is there an heirloom, a picture, a family item, something that reminds you of your story that you've been through? Um, you know, again, um, uh, as long as my family and is out of the house, uh, you know, it used to be you'd, you'd grab your pictures. Sure. But now, you know, uh, and, and that would be because there's some that I haven't preserved yet. So it would... It would definitely be um, the uh, photos that I have downstairs that that I never I haven't yet scanned because mm-hmm. I need them on the cloud that I still have access to those. But I would say that that would be the first thing that I would do, especially the ones of for for Zach for my son who's 24 now. Mm-hmm. So he would he would be able to have those some of those uh, understand some of the some of his legacy mm-hmm. about his dad. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And uh, when I first met you, Zach was 15. So th- things have uh, have changed, I, I know, for wow. both of us in our lives. 
Jill, if, if you had an opportunity to sit on a bench overlooking a beach, a beach on a gorgeous day and you could have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to sit next to and have that conversation with? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Sure. Um, it would probably be my grandma, Ada. Yeah, it would be my grandma, Ada. Tell me about grandma, Ada. She's the one who gave me the books. Oh. Uh, uh, and I would want to uh, understand and ask her. Uh, she was very, she was very well read, uh, very understated. You know, she didn't, um, uh, she was not one who espoused her, her, um, her intelligence because she was a farm wife, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I would love to understand and learn more about, uh, her perspective of life. Um, she was very spiritual too, um, and understand, uh, what that was like for her and especially knowing my grandfather who was not of that cloth necessarily, not that he was not, he was not, he wasn't, he just, he was a farm farmer Mm -hmm. and uh, reconciling yourself to some of those things. So those would be some of the questions I'd want to talk about and just understand the family dynamics and some of those things uh, about my dad and Mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. Whether it was from grandma Ada or anyone else, Jill, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, don't trust naked bus drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That was one of Steve's jokes. Me too. <laughs> my, my best, my best advice is, um, I'd give two. One was, um, in, especially in business and really in life too, always go least to most. Meaning, um, you know, if you start out too big, uh, it's hard to take it away. People don't trust, they, they lose trust then and start from least and, and, and then build from there. But the other thing my mom always would say is, um, when in doubt, do without. And mm. to listen, to, you know, basically it's to listen to the whisper. But but she, I will tell you, she was talking about accessorizing clothing. Yes. But I'd use that. <laughs> hey, clothing. So do without. I think it works in all facets of life. Just two more questions. Uh, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? If you could go back in time and whisper into your own ear, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, I would, I, I would, um, read the, I would make sure that I knew the quote by Marianne Williamson and may have been Mandela, but Marianne Williamson was attributed to it of, uh, about worthiness. And I'd make sure that I knew that I was worthy and that, and that God expects me to shine because that was one of the best things that, uh, that shifted me when I was 35 or 36 that, um, you know, who are we not to shine? Mm-hmm. You know, that we're, we, we are here for a bigger purpose and not to make it about us and feel unworthy and feel dependent on people and question ourselves. And not that I still don't question myself every single day, uh, but uh, that, that sense of worthiness, because I didn't have that at the age of 20. Mm. And nobody would know it. Nobody would have known it. They never do. Knowing, knowing me. But we, right. we, we know. And, and, uh, Joe, with that being said, it's it has been said that all great lives can have their story, their lives, summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? That I have helped people shine and become more of who they are. That's that's what I that's what I want people to come forward with. That somehow I have helped in some way, shape, or form help them see more of who they can be and uh, help them become more of who they are. Jill, I'm going to thank you for the time by paraphrasing a quote that you, uh, you referenced a moment ago. Uh, you, my friend are adequate. You are beautiful. You are gorgeous. You are talented. You are proof that the best days remain in front of us. And, um, you, I think Jill, through your story and the way you share it so honestly, you liberate us to embrace our stories and to move from fear into faith and into possibility in our, in our lives. So I, I thank you for your time today, and I thank you for your work at Tastefully Simple and Beyond. Well, thank you, John. It's an honor, and it's always fun to hear your voice and connect with you. So thank you so much, John. My friends, for this time and until next time, that was Jill. This is John, and this is your day. Live inspired. Well, thank you for joining me today on the Live Inspired podcast. Jill shared her story, her heart, and her life, and we're grateful she did. 
She also shared some amazing nuggets of inspiration. I could go through the entire list of notes that I took during the Live Inspired podcast, but I want you to focus in on a quote she shares before she speaks. Did you hear it? She shares it every time before she speaks to these audiences, and she'll ask them three questions. How many of you have dealt with fear or dealt with something bad? And she'll have the audience raise their hand. And amazingly, my friends, every time, every audience, every hand goes up. Her second question was, did you get through it? And of course, the very fact they're in the room allows them to raise their hand a second time. And then the third question, are you stronger because of it? Are you stronger because of it? And each audience looks back, reflects on their life, and realizes that in spite of the adversity, in spite of what they went through, that in fact, they may not have enjoyed it, they may not have wanted it, they may not want to go through it again, but they are even stronger and better versions of themselves because of the adversity they went through. Jill has a story of raising her hand to these questions. She certainly has been through some adversity, the loss of family members, the challenges of growing up, the loss of some marriages that she endured as a young woman, the loss of a husband tragically to, to uh, overdose, experience after experience along the journey of relationship, finances, the professional journey from difficulty to success. She's raised her hand every step along the way, but she's also raised her hand to that third question. Are you stronger because of it? My friends, I have every confidence as you listen to these Live Inspired podcasts that you are raising your hands to experiencing challenges during your day, to realizing that you are indeed getting through it, and to understanding and embracing the fact that you are better today because of it. I want you to go back to the shed of your life. To go back to that little place where you can stir up some ingredients to put it together to realize that you are baking the best of your life going forward. Use that pool table not just for shooting pool, but for baking something even bigger than yourselves. Be like Jill in that regard. For these notes from the show, for links to Jill, to learn more about her work, her writings, her speaking, and her impact. I want you to check out our show notes. You can learn more about her and, of course, the Live Inspired movement there at johnolearyinspires.com. Now, my friends, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, please take a few moments to rate the show and review the podcast. This is a quick way that helps us get the word out. Although the show is still just launching, We've already had more than 150,000 downloads. That's you, by the way, downloading. That's you helping us share the good news. That's you helping us create a movement of people living inspired. I thank you for it. I think it's awesome we're doing it. But you can help us inspire and impact even more lives. So rate this show. Leave your comments. Tell your friends and neighbors and guys and gals that you work with. Let's continue to create a movement of individuals who are living inspired. For this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.